The biggest hurdle between me and eating healthy, delicious meals for lunch is decision fatigue. Honestly, by the time lunchtime rolls around, I've already made like a thousand decisions from what my toddler should wear to how much I want to argue with her about how you have to brush your teeth in the morning, you know? <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, I absolutely agree. And like I have taken to doing meal preps or like buying a bunch of ready to eat meals to like heat up quickly. And I recently tried Factor. And let me tell you, Factor is like 12,000 steps above and beyond any ready to meet eat meal I have ever tried before. That's right. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef curated, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started and get after your goals. I tried the two-minute meals where I could fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. And they also offer pancakes, smoothies, and more. There's a wide variety of easy options throughout the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Plus, there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup required. Factor is also flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution when you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And you don't want to make any more decisions because you're exhausted, like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 and use code justbreakup50 to get 50% off. That's code justbreakup50 at factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 to get 50% off. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like having a stalker, being a jealous third wheel, and pain that feels like another limb. But Mm. before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed therapists or licensed people in general. Yeah, I have a driver's license, but I am not a mental health counselor or marriage counseling counselor, (laughs) 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 whatever that is. Um, We are not professionals. Sam and I are not trained in giving relationship advice. So please take uh, what we say as you see fit in your life. We are just here to offer our humble musings so we shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. So for a check-in topic today, we just actually want to touch on some business and some some happenings um, in our life and beyond. Uh, first, we want to check in and remind you all about our new 
Patreon offering. We shifted up our Patreon. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Patreon is a platform that helps you subscribe to support creators that you love for a small monthly amount and you get exclusive extra content. For our Just Break Up Patreon, um, for $5 a month, you get an extra bonus episode every week um, in which Sam and I dive into more topics like love and heartbreak and I don't know, BuzzFeed quizzes or whatever. And we also answer <laughs> patrons' questions. So we for five for five dollars a month, you can um you have you have a bigger chance of getting your question chosen because we pull from a smaller pool, pool of letters. And for ten dollars a month, um you get those exclusive episodes and the back catalog I, mean, I forgot to say that for five dollars a month you also get the back catalog of every patreon episode we've ever released but for ten dollars a month we're starting to release video content of that exclusive episode for those of you who enjoy like a visual component to your podcasts um, as well as a shout out on our uh primary episode so right now in lieu of this uh or not in lieu of this i always say the wrong thing in light of this there we go Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we want to thank some of our patrons for making all of this possible. So thank you to Elise Brennan. Thank you to Catherine Charlotte. Thank you to Lindsay Sampson. Thank you to Catherine Kistler. Thank you to Kylie Scott. Thank you to Kelly. Thank you, Tori Burgus. Burgo. Burgus. Yep. <laughs> and thank you to Aaron Schuler. We also have a $50 level um, for a one-time $50 subscription. You can... Uh, automatically guaranteed get your question answered by Sam and I, either in a private audio message or in one of our Patreon uh, episodes. Um, And that's for those of you who are really desperate for our advice and want a little bit of guarantee. And all of this, all of this subscription helps Sam, Spencer, and I create this podcast um, for you to listen to for free. Uh, We... We are really grateful to be partnered with sponsor uh, with Spotify to be exclusive on Spotify, and that um, partnership has really helped increase the sustainability of our podcast uh, because we love that it's free for you to listen to, but it's not free for us to make. But the patrons on our Patreon is really what makes this possible. It's really what makes it sustainable in the long run. Our thanks and gratitude for the patrons is super super genuine so if you're interested in any of these exclusive opportunities you can check them out now um also you can always cancel them you know at any time it's like a flexible subscription service you can check it out at patreon.com slash just break up pod and we also wanted to check in about uh what's going on in our beloved hometown of minneapolis right now Mm -hmm. absolutely so um we talked about this on the Patreon this week. Um, but uh, for folks who don't know, um, a young black man, Dante Wright, was killed by a police officer in Brooklyn Center, which is approximately five miles from my house here in Minneapolis. Um, and there have been uh, protests over this and a sort of what I would call an outsized reaction um, by folks in power in the state, in the county, in the city um, that have tamped down really hard on all those protests. Um, And also, for folks who don't know, Derek Chauvin, the man who murdered George Floyd, is also currently on trial in Minneapolis. The verdict is expected to come out um, as early as Monday about whether or not he's going to be convicted for the murder that he committed. Um, And so Minneapolis right now is basically an occupied city 
Um, there are National Guard members on um, many street corners, right? Uh, the police station close to my house is barricaded by two giant concrete fences with razor wire on and between them. Um, there are Humvees driving up and down the streets at any given moment. There are military planes flying in the skies. There are helicopters all the time. Um, there is no clear authority on who is calling these people into the city. There is no accountability whatsoever. Um, and it's honestly, frankly, really terrifying to be to because it it's just like what is going to happen when this verdict comes out and who is going to die because of the way mm. that the the people are responding to this who is going to be hurt um and it's the just the people responding meaning the people in in power yeah the people clarify. in power yeah. who are literally putting people with machine guns on the corners outside of like bars and restaurants like it's just wild um and it's disturbing to me how quickly we sort of just acclimate to the fact that there are like men in uniforms with mm. machine guns on street corners um, and how we are not at all like for me as a white person, I'm like not at all threatened by that. Right. Like I like, mm. oh, I know that that gun's not for me. Uh, so like I'm mm. fine. Um, and seriously, like not taking into account the fact that like this isn't this isn't acceptable. This isn't appropriate behavior for our, our elected leaders to be exercising um and it's just it's just a level of hopelessness and a level of anxiety in my community that is just um frankly heartbreaking like it's just it's mm -hmm. so i there's just despair like i think that's really all i can say about it is just that like people are just feeling um, incredibly hopeless in this moment uh, and scared. And it's really, uh, it's really hard to see people hurting so much and feeling so, so helpless. So like, right. Not in control of their own communities. Uh, and it's heartbreaking to watch it happen in, in a place that I've grown to love and continue to love. And, um, so just wanted to acknowledge it and yeah. say that that we, me and Sierra, stand wholeheartedly with the protesters, stand wholeheartedly with the idea that Black Lives Matter and that police officers should not be able to murder black people with impunity um, and that police violence in our communities here in Minneapolis and across the United States is racially based. It is about <laughs> extending slavery. It is about the prison system, which is just de facto slavery. Um, mm -hmm. And that it's, it's unacceptable that this is the country that we live in and that it is up to us to figure out ways to, to make things not this because this is not working. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I want to invite our, myself and my family and our listeners um, to, connect with two things right now. Like if, if this is new for you or uncomfortable or you don't know how to react or you're sick of this or you're worried or whatever, um, this week I'm trying to connect with my humanity. Mm -hmm. um, knowing that what happened to Dante is um, inhumane 
and it is the 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 correct reaction to someone being quote unquote accidentally shot mm-hmm. you know um is outrage is grief is is um sadness fear anger you know like that's the right that's that's our humanity right our inhumanity is when we say well he had a prior or mm-hmm. well he resisted that's inhumane to like to to just to try to justify the literal taking of someone's life mm-hmm. um in that way and i also want um, i am uh, trying to connect with my creativity and my great my bravery when I when I start picturing and working towards a world without policing. Right? We are creative. We are brave. We um, are so smart. We can create um, new and better systems that actually protect and provide for our community than the systems that are in place. We can create things that have never been seen before. We just have to be brave enough to see it, to, to believe in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, I echo what Sam said very well that we just stand with all of it. And we felt like we couldn't do this episode without, acknowledging what is going on in our beloved city and to, to our beloved listeners and our, and our community members. Absolutely. Sam and I talked a little bit before, before we pressed record that we didn't know how to like (laughs) end this Mm check-in because it's a strange act to transition. Um, But also like, you know, if this, were a social media post, like maybe we could put a call for action mm-hmm. or like a demand for justice or whatever. But like Sam on his Instagram this week said like that stuff is getting so we're getting tired of those things, you mm-hmm. know, because those calls for justice and those calls to action feel so futile mm-hmm. um, when this shit keeps happening um, and that it feels like our elected officials and our governing forces are not listening Um to the pain and the voices of the of, of their community, um, it yep. feels futile. So, like maybe on that note, like we don't know how to. Mm-hmm. There's no like nice, clean way to make this. I don't know. Poetic is what I always think. You <laughs> for know? sure. Yeah. From for, well, from my point of view, I think about like trying to like make things make sense or give mm-hmm. them a a bow to send them off into the world. It, it is really hard to to have been explicitly told over the course of the last few years right like do these things do these things do these things and the heartbreaking reality that in fact those things don't actually necessarily create immediate change right and i and i think that at least for me as a white person whose idea of like oh well just do the thing right like do the thing and the thing will get done um if we if we talk to people if we do this work um then things will change, right? Like, cause that's, that's generally been my experience, right? Like that has been like, if I'm like, I want this thing to change, I can like figure out ways to mm. do it. Um, and I think it speaks to my own sort of fragility or, or lack of resiliency around this, or even naivete around, around this to suddenly come into the reality of the fact that like racism is so entrenched in everything mm-hmm. that, there is no quick way to change it. And there is mm. no, um, there is no silver bullet. There is, and also like the, the pushback against it is going to be really intense in a way that I have not experienced. Um, 
And I think it's just coming up against that reality is just making it really challenging for me to say, like, read this book. It's like, we've read a lot of books now. (laughs) Like, there's been a lot of reading that's been happening. And what is it? How do we translate that reading and that learning and that donating money into actual change? Because it just feels like we're missing something. And that reality, we know as two white people, is that quote unquote new reality that we're coming into terms with has been the lived reality of so many people of color. For 400 years, for the 400 years since 1619, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, no no trust. Um, we can say this. We really are thinking of all of you. Um, we're thinking of everyone in Minneapolis. We're thinking mm-hmm. of um, all of our listeners, um, you know, especially with this impending conviction or lack thereof, um, we know that a lot of your hearts are really stressed and anxious and heavy and angry right now. And mm-hmm. we, uh, I guess, you know, our pain, our, our, our emotions want to witness and Sam and I are doing our best to like acknowledge that and witness that right now alongside you. So. Absolutely. All right. You want to get into some letters? <sighs> yes, let's do it. All right. Our first letter today comes from Ann C who is writing from the void Ann writes, I have a tendency to fall in love, not necessarily with people I'm interested in, but with those who are interested in me. This resulted in a six-year-long relationship where I wasn't really into my boyfriend, but felt bad breaking things off because as time went on, to break up meant throwing away all of the hard work we had both put into the relationship. Our final year together was spent cramped in my studio apartment in the city, a time during which we might as well have been platonic roommates who occasionally kiss. There was no more, it'll be easier once we're out of school, or it'll be better once we live together so there's no long distance. I was in a relationship completely fueled by potential instead of what was right in front of me, and there was no more potential. We broke up, he moved out, and while I cried hard for three days straight, I, it was a hashtag hot girl summer, and I was happy to feel like myself again. I was going on dates left and right and naturally found a rebound boyfriend not even a full two months after my breakup. That summer was so romantic. New guy was athletic and loved being outdoors. New guy ate healthier. New guy was into the same shows as me. New guy was as creepily into astrology as I am. New guy was the anti-old guy. But the new guy came with his own set of more complicated circumstances. New guy lacked a strong support system outside of myself. New guy had anger management issues, was always high, and was emotionally abusive. Constantly asking me who I'm with, why I didn't immediately text good morning, he even once got mad at me for playing Animal Crossing with a guy friend. He would (laughs) gaslight me into thinking I wasn't trying hard enough. He would make me feel bad for doing anything that meant being away from him. So I literally hate humans. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So when I had to move home at the start of the pandemic, we broke up. We had only dated a year. I knew in my heart it was just a rebound and that it only lasted a full year because I felt bad for him. And I thought it was a clean break until he emailed me on his birthday telling me that he hopes that I will die. He emailed me and said he hopes I get hit by a car and that my guts spill out. He ended the message with, call the cops, I don't care if I die. I knew this was a cry for help, so I replied compassionately and said that I knew this wasn't who he is. He apologized and said he's starting therapy and that was that. A couple months passed and he emailed me an update on his mental health. I replied mostly because I feared what he would do to me or himself if I didn't. I told him not to contact me anymore. Another few months passed and having blocked him on everything else, he sent me a message on LinkedIn congratulating me on my new job and apologizing again. 
This time, I ignored it. A couple weeks later, he messaged me on Facebook Messenger, which apparently is completely separate from Facebook, where I had him blocked. And after some normal exchanges catching up with each other, I replied that I really couldn't be friends with him. He, I explained hmm. that his first email had scared me and I couldn't be friends with someone out of fear. He said, it's cool. A couple of weeks go, ago, he emailed me again with an update on his therapy and another apology. I ignored it. He had been told not to reach out. And at this point, he's being disrespectful. Today, he zelled me $20 with no explanation. <laughs> right. He was probably... Wait, wait, wait. To use Zelle, <laughs> don't you need a bank account number? Like, isn't Zelle bank, to, like, bank account transfers? I think, I think it's like Venmo if you have, like, their user ID. You can, oh, like, you send have, like, them something. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You're right. You're right. right. I'm thinking... But if you... Oh, I don't know. I'm going to Google that while you read. Continue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He was probably How to use Zell. <laughs> <laughs> he was probably hoping I'd send it back and have to text him or something. I kept it. I sent it to my best friend because I was pissed. My best friend had a stalker once and he followed a similar but honestly more intense pattern of trying every single means of reaching out and even showed up unannounced at her apartment building. She tried to get an order of protection from the police, but they said that they couldn't do anything because she sometimes replied to the guy. I'm so scared that this guy might come find me and do something to harm me or someone around me. I'm worried that I'll get the same response as my friend got from the police because of the times I did respond. Mm. I know that mm -hmm. he hasn't done anything to physically harm me yet, but what do I even do to prevent that? Do I respond to his messages more or do I continue to block slash ignore? I want to be empathetic because I know he's working on himself, but I feel like I've acknowledged and forgiven him so many times. I don't know what else he wants from me since he knows we are never getting back together. All right, and thank you so much for writing. Um, Zell, you're right. It's just like Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> um, my bad. Uh, okay, so this question, um, this letter, I feel like is so relatable probably to so many exper people's experiences. Like we always say on this show, we're not given a manual to tell us how to be in relationship with each other. And that we often learn what our boundaries are, how to treat people by making mistakes. Mm -hmm. And we don't always talk about like the, the aftermath of that, like the, the steep painful learning process of like how not to be like a manipulative piece of shit. Um, <laughs> that like, let me just say, you know, guilt is a motherfucker, dude. Mm -hmm. You know, this is why you're repeatedly reaching out is because you either crave control or you crave, um, uh, I don't know, to make things right or you feel really bad. You know, guilt is a motherfucker, but like obsession is where things get dangerous. And I feel like we're walking a thin line here. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think... Um, and forgive me for like addressing your ex first before really addressing you. I, I don't think you are, I don't think your safety is at risk, but I think now is the really important time to start setting up some hard boundaries. And to your credit, you did that, <laughs> you know, like to your credit, you've done the work. You, you talk about the end of your letter, like how I want to be compassionate because he's obviously like going through these things. You have been, you responded to a couple messages. You expressed mm -hmm. your boundaries. Um, you did the black, 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 like you're, you've done the work to, to even, I don't know if you've forgiven him explicitly, but like saying like, it's cool, but I can't be friends with you. You are no longer responsible to help this man through his emotional healing to be a good person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I think that you have done more than enough for this person um, in terms of like acknowledging his apology, telling him that you understand and you're glad he's getting therapy, being kind and saying like, and please don't contact me anymore. Right. Like those are above and beyond the things that you needed to do in the situation because you could have just completely blocked or ignored yeah. and like let him figure himself out. Um, and so like want to, to sort of hold for you that you have done the compassionate thing already. You have expressed yes. enough empathy already. You have gone above and beyond in your empathetic response to this man. Um, and I love that about you. And I appreciate that that's how you want to move through the world. And I want to say that to also let you off the hook to offer him any more empathy or compassion in this moment. Yeah. Because he, yeah. you've given him enough. You have given him more yeah. than you needed to. I also just want to pause and say like, your fear, your anxiety about this, the thing that you're feeling around around like not knowing if you're physically safe, if you're emotionally safe, um, is 100% justified, is 100% valid. I think one of the mm. things that, that we do in society for people who are being stalked or are being sort of manipulated or threatened without like, I'm going to murder you, but more just like, I'm just going to keep showing up in your life in ways that mm, I don't totally. actually explicitly threaten you but i threaten you with my presence is to dismiss those as being like oh you're just overreacting um mm. and as someone who has had someone show up at my apartment when i didn't want him there um I, it is incredibly scary to have those things happen even if at the end of the day you're like i don't think they're gonna do something physically i think they're just being weird and creepy and uncomfortable and not knowing boundaries but it's that is such a hard line to understand that it is it is unfair that we ask people who are being stalked by people to dis differentiate, right? Like mm. it is unfair of us to ask people to make those distinctions because it is because it is so unknowable. It is so unknowable mm. whether or not this person is actually going mm. to be physically You're so violent right. to you. So like You're so right. So I need to <laughs> I need to take back what I said then. Because because <laughs> you're right. I was saying, well, you said it right there. I don't like, do I, do I think this is a manifestation of him trying to make things right or rectify it in his own heart or his, his anxiety um, or whatever? He just feels bad. Yes. You know, so that's why I said before, like, do I think you're physically at harm? No, but you're so right because like, it's better to affirm the crossing of the repeated crossing of boundaries and the overstepping um, mm -hmm. of her wishes it's it's better to mentally categorize that as something dangerous mm -hmm. right rather than doing the and i'm not trying to be paranoid or overly anxious but rather than doing the sweeping because you're right it's it's a ton of gray area for sure and i think to be clear i think what you were doing was trying to like make her feel better Affirm. right and yeah, say like yeah, i don't no, think he's gonna absolutely like, yeah like i don't think you were like but he's I, not gonna you, you <laughs> changed my mind and in, in what you were sharing is that I think situationally, I'd rather be the person that said, wow, this fucking really sucks. And I cannot believe he has constantly overstepped your boundaries. Mm -hmm. I can imagine why you feel unsafe instead of saying like, no, no, you're going to be okay. Like, of course, I want to affirm yeah. <laughs> and say you're you're safe. You're OK. Um, your boundaries are right. You know, but uh, thanks for that teaching moment. Well, and I also think that both those things can be true at the same time, right? Like mm -hmm. you're 100% justified in your fear. And also I want you to know that like the likelihood of physical violence is 
low, right? Like statistically right. it's low. Um, well, I don't see yeah. the re- the typical red flags in his behavior, for sure. but they are the start of the, f- you know, they're the red string that yeah. takes to sew the flag. <laughs> yes, you know? absolutely. It's like the yarn. You can see the yarn and the crochet and like the <laughs> knitting needles. It's not quite a flag yet, but like the tools are all there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It could turn into a scarf. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say like, I'm so sorry that this is happening to you and that like, it's really scary. It's honestly so scary to have this happen because it is so gray. It is in that place of like, Mm. you don't know what the the clear rules are and there are no clear rules. There are no like, Oh, this person's going to be turned physically violent and this person's not. It's like, it's so scary to be in that place. And so I just want to like affirm you in that fear and also just say how sorry I am that this man is repeatedly stepping into your life in a way that feels so threatening in a way that feels so unsafe. And I think it, I think it feeds off of this thing that we see often in interpersonal relationships, especially when someone is toxic and the other person has like, uh, if not a caretaker role, but Mm -hmm. a dealing with that toxicity role, you know, a a sense of responsibility, you know, Anne writes about empathy and compassion, you know, but let's paint a picture. Let me tell you what a non-compassionate response would look like, Anne. It would look like emailing them back and telling them to go fuck themselves and that they were the worst lover you've ever had and that, (laughs) you know, their mama's ugly. And let's remember, like, while we're while we're setting these wildly unattainable expectations for ourselves of total compassion and kindness and forever giving and forever understanding that like our, our, the levels that we're reaching now are kindness, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are compassionate because again, the non-kind, non-compassionate thing to do would be, to like post naked pictures of him online, you know, like that would be <laughs> also and, illegal, and be, but that's fine. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but I'm using that as an extreme example of like, sure. Let's paint the opposite of what you're doing. That's unkind. Right. That is evil. You know, mean, uh, non-compassionate, you know, what you're doing is, I, th- I think we have to change our definition of kindness. We think about kindness as sacrifice, mm-hmm. um, but kindness is also very plainly, clearly, and without any mincing of words saying, I understand, I'm glad you're healing, but I don't think I can be your friend. That's a very kind response. Mm-hmm. Just because we've societally been trained that that being kind is about giving people what they want. Right. And it's not that. Right. Mm-hmm. It, that's not kindness. Yeah, for sure. Kindness is establishing boundaries. Kindness is right. standing up for yourself in this moment and not allowing him to do things that not allowing him because you're not allowing him to, but not affirming some of the things that he's doing that are overstepping your boundaries. And and like, right. and I know that that's really hard to to sit with because of what Sierra said that, like, we think kindness is like giving people what they want. Um, but it is actually kinder to to not talk to this person anymore, to not give him right. leeway, to not. And it's kinder to yourself, too. Right. Like it is yeah. kinder to yourself to establish these boundaries. And you deserve just as much kindness as you are giving to this man, too. And I know that this guy didn't write in. Um, so, like, I, I, I don't I, I'm not saying this to address him, but I'm saying. Like, I guess to remind you, to, too, and that, like our healing 
and the rectifying of our inevitable toxic ways because we're humans, you know, um, is solely on us. And I don't just mean our actions. Like right now, what I think is happening is this guy is like, I fucked up. I need to make this up to her. And that desire, I understand, but we cannot control um, the people that we've hurt. We cannot force them to forgive us. We cannot force them to allow us to make it right. So that's what I mean when I say the rectifying of our errors is on us internally. It is on him to say, wow, you know, Sam and I say it on the podcast all the time. Yeah. In that relationship, I was such a hot mess. I, I totally fucked up in that relationship or in this way of my life. I was not my best self, but I have learned better or whatever. Mm-hmm. None of that healing, none of that growth can be contingent on, on the person we hurt affirming it it has to be self-affirming so even if you wanted even if you were like wow this is on me to help him through this healing process because like i'm obviously involved with whatever's like fucking with his head right now it's it is not your job and it cannot be you that gives him this peace Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah no absolutely i i think that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes but that is Mm -hmm. that's the reality um so, Sam, can you tell Anne how to do the most full and effective block, block, block? <laughs> Since you're you're the the originator of the phrase block, 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 and it came from you, like, literally blocking people on LinkedIn and stuff. Yeah, um, for sure. So there are uh, you can block people on anything, which is really fantastic. Um, and I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, and I will say that, like, my experience was also is similar to your experience and where it yes, was like, it was. there were things I didn't realize I hadn't blocked this person on. Um, and then I had to figure out how to do that. Um, and so like email, LinkedIn messenger, block their phone number in your phone. Like uh, there are like a number of things that you have to, to figure out. And I, and I, I know that it's really hard to have them like go around again and like find a different way to like contact you. <laughs> like, it it's a, such an unsettling reality of the fact that how infinitely reachable we are on different platforms. Mm. Um, mm. But my my recommendation for you is to use those times when he reaches out not to respond to him, but to find a way to block him on that resource. Um, so mm-hmm. how do you block him on LinkedIn? How do you block him on Instagram Messenger, Zelle? I'm pretty sure you can block people on Zelle. You can totally block people on payment things. Yep. So do it on Venmo, do it on PayPal, like all of the things that you need to do in order to to make it really clear to him that he doesn't have access to you. And I know that that feels like you are ripping out his heart, but you're not. You are just putting up a barrier between your heart, which is a such a wonderful resource that needs to be protected, and him. And mm, the violence that, that he phrase. wants to enact on you, if not physically, then at least emotionally and psychologically. Um, so that's would be my recommendation is just like continue, continue to block him. Um, my hope is that he will figure it out and just get over it. Um, but, you know, that 
might not always be the reality. And so the best thing that you can do is figure out how to block them on anything that you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Um, I also just want to direct some resources your way too. Um, Stalking is a real and legitimate form of emotional and psychological violence. Um, And there are resources available at the National Domestic Violence Hotline for people who are um, being stalked. And so if you give them a call at 1-800-799-SAFE, or you can go to the website, thehotline.org, and talk to them about what you're experiencing, and they can make recommendations for safety plans, um, connect you to your office uh, of protection, um, help you talk to cops, whatever you need to do in order to make sure that you are doing what you can do to, to put up distance between you and this person who is um, invading your personal uh, psychological space. All right, Anne, we are sorry that you're going through this. We are proud of you for getting out of that situation and for putting up those healthy boundaries. And we hope that all of this helps. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. We love you. We love you. All right, y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karakal jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. <laughs> Stop wasting yeah. you money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like use the middle person. Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash just break up. That's rocketmoney.com slash just break up. Rocketmoney.com slash just break up. All right. Our next letter is from Jealous Third Wheel, who is writing to us from the ground underneath a tricycle. (laughs) (laughs) This is so funny. Okay. Hello, darling Sam and Sierra. I hope this letter finds you both well. Before I jump into it, I want to just echo every letter writer's uh, praise for the work that you do. Your kind, generous, informed, and emotionally intelligent words fill my soul and warm my heart week after week. This podcast has carried me through a lot of ups and downs over the course of the past few uh, past year, and for that, I am eternally grateful. Well, thank you for saying those kind words. Mm-hmm. I'm a 23-year-old cis bi woman in a quite emotion the emotionally, as Sierra would say, pickle. <laughs> Emotional pickle. <laughs> I recently went through uh, several big life changes, moved to a big city, started a new job, bought a new car, etc. My new roommate, she, her, we can call her Rose, is my best friend, and I would do literally anything in the world for that woman. She has been my rock through so much, is a constant companion, and an all-around wonderful human being. I feel so incredibly fortunate to have her in my life. She has had a whirlwind of the past few months, more so than anyone I know. She and her boyfriend of almost three years broke up. Her dad and uncle died within a month of each other. She has transitioned from being a full-time teacher to a full-time student and no longer has an income. All of this among smaller things. I've had my fair share of good and bad days, but it all pales pales in comparison to what she's been through. Since her breakup, she hasn't done a lot to put herself out there. She's had a Tinder for a bit, but didn't feel like it was right for her. We are, were, question mark, both single Pringles looking to mingle. Usually we have different tastes in both men and women. So our ability to be in the same pool, so to speak, has never affected us until now. Recently, we met a friend of a friend and both became interested in exploring something beyond a friendship with him. Let's call him Max. Both of us had our own flirty thing going on with him, and he seemed to reciprocate equal interest in both of us. When we brought it up with each other, we were at a loss. We talked about how we didn't want to let anyone, especially a man, get between us, but that we were both really interested. Me living my Enneagram 2 people-pleasing life out here thought about how much she's been through and decided to abdicate. I gave her my full blessing to pursue him. All I want is for her to be happy and find joy after so many losses have torn her down. I found some success on Tinder and thought I would have an easier time finding a relationship or something of the kind, at least elsewhere. I was wrong. And here's the thing, though. I can't get over him. Mm. At every milestone they hit, I'm torn between being thrilled to see her so happy and jealousy that she has what I could have had. I want her to talk about really good dates, fun trips, their great sex life. I want to cheer her on in every moment of this. 
But at the same time, I feel a deep pit in my stomach thinking about how close I was to being in her shoes. Max and I had a good thing going too. Of course, me saying go ahead did not necessarily mean that things would automatically click between them or that it was between Rose and I only to decide the fate of any relationship or even if things had gone the other way that Max and I would be happy together. I can't help but think, though, that could have been me. Rose is my best friend and roommate. We do so much together. And with Max now solidly in our friend group, I am constantly reminded of what I'm missing out on. If we're hanging out, I'm with them, sometimes just them. And I feel the jealousy creeping in. When I'm home alone and she's out at his place, the absence screams, reminding me of my loneliness. I'm left to endlessly swipe, though all I'm turning up is crumbs. And if not, I'm comparing them to Max. What do I do? How do I get over him? Is it too dramatic of me to mourn the possibility of a future that will never happen? I literally have to live with this, but I'm not sure what steps to take. Any advice you can give or light you can shed on the situation would be deeply appreciated. All my love. Oh, my darling, jealous third we are, we, we, wheel. There we go. My switch <laughs> came, came out. I love it when that happens. <laughs> oh, I hate it. Um, okay. Hello, my darling, <laughs> jealous third wheel. Mm-hmm. Guess what? All of these feelings are valid, and I'm really sorry that you're stuck in this position. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. This is really tough to like have this crush and then to have this have been the one to say like it's okay, but also then have to like deal with the ramifications of the fact that it's like not yeah. okay. <laughs> it's like really challenging. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to say, like, you did do the generous, nice, people-pleasing thing. <laughs> like, you, mm-hmm. that was a kind thing of you to do. I also want to reframe it and say there was no right or wrong choice that you can make there. It's not like you made a choice that put you on a path of loneliness and spinsterhood, you know. Uh, and mm-hmm. you didn't make the right choice because it was, quote, kind and generous. You just made a choice mm-hmm. that felt right to you in the moment or, you know, that you just made a choice. And now, and now we have to deal with it. That's what this letter is all about, like mm-hmm. dealing with the choice that we made. For sure. It is a very particular type of pain to be in love with <laughs> yeah. your friend's partner. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like it is, I, it's that is so hard. And then to add on to it too, like the idea of like you made this big sacrifice is just, yes. Um, it's just like a, a teen romance story, like waiting to happen. It's just so mm. like it's it's like book worthy how how tragic this is. Um, <laughs> honestly, and I think that 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 reality might also be like playing out in your head, too. Right. Like it, this is like a book worthy mm. situation where you've done this noble thing and letting your your partner um pursue this man that you were interested in and then like if it's the notebook or whatever like 20 years down the line they'll be divorced and then you'll suddenly rekindle your your love and like the golden years of your life or whatever um did you know i've never seen that movie that's not the promise of that movie by the way (laughs) (laughs) i was when i said it i was like like that coming (laughs) like like the notebook like a book like the notebook like like a like a like a distant cousin of the (laughs) notebook okay got it like a nicholas sparks novel is he still writing books i wonder um sure (laughs) but i want you to like i want you to take it off the pedestal a little bit and i want you to erase that tragic love story patina off of it and just be like oh 
my friend is dating this dude I kind of liked, right? Like, make it that less... That I could have been, you know, hypothetically, right? yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, make it make it not a tragic love story and make it just, like, the, the facts of your life right now. Facts. Right? Yep. Um, and sometimes those facts are like, oh, dang, that is uncomfortable and mm-hmm. I, uh, unfortunate, <laughs> you know, but facts are less uh intense sometimes than narratives that we tell ourselves for sure right and like naming and noticing things rather than like creating stories about them in our heads right because like right now the story is you gave up on this great love with this person you sacrificed it for your friend and now you're you're you are destined 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 yes (laughs) there it is you are destined to be lonely and spend you're picking up the crumbs because you could have had this great love but you tragically gave it up right and instead be like nope my friend is dating this dude that i told her it was okay to date and he's kind of cool but like we didn't we don't really know each other that much so who knows if it would have worked out and now i'm having some bad luck on tinder right like that's that is so much less of a heartbreaking story (laughs) and just like a yeah okay Okay, all of those things are manageable things. All of those things just are like just like things you have to deal season. with, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Well, if you think about it, like this can't be your first dry spell on Tinder, right? For sure. This this can't be the first time you, or like Sam was saying, maybe you're painting it to be this much bigger dry spell when in the past you might have like spent a, a week or two swiping and not finding anything, um, and not having that, those Tinder profiles, not having somebody to compare them to. So mm. it felt less drastic, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, Tinder, Tinder dry spells are just a part of life. <laughs> mm-hmm. They are, honestly, they are such a, f- yeah. a fact of life. Do you think that, um, Jealous Third Wheel should talk to their friend? I, cause this is where my instinct is coming from, or maybe not talking to your friend, but like, you know, you do, you're gonna have to put some emotional mental labor into getting over this person mm-hmm. you know like sam saying making changing the your intentional thought processes or your configuring of your emotions or your your inner narrative or whatever actively working to alter that in small ways to affirm you moving forward without you know moving forward really like letting your roommate have this happy relationship and and pursuing other things, you you you're gonna have to put in work to get over him. I think you mm-hmm. know. Period. But you don't have to hear about their great sex life. <laughs> you don't. You 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 don't have to be a wholly available person to be a great friend and a great roommate. And the reason why I thought maybe you should say something to your friend is. I can imagine a scenario in which you could say something like, hey, you are my top dog, my number one f- favorite person. I I want your, ha- I wish happiness for you more than anyone else. I value our friendship over anything else as proven by my, by my willingness to like let you pursue so-and-so, Max. Mm-hmm. Um but I've been thinking, um, I've been feeling lonely, you know, it's kind of like sparked some loneliness in me. Um, and I realized unwilling, like, un- I didn't know before when I gave you this blessing that these feelings were going to come up. So I'm wondering if you could help me um, by maybe 
understanding that it'll take me some time to get fully comfortable with your relationship. Mm -hmm. Like there's a, there's an opportunity for some intense vulnerability in here. And I know that that's kind of like adding another person to this narrative that with Sam and I just suggested that you should debunk, Uh you know? Yeah. Um, It's like adding a player to this story that we told you to stop participating in. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I also think that we have an opportunity for radical vulnerability so that people can help us, with our needs, you know, if you don't want to talk to her, which I think is also very valid because like you just feel more comfortable like doing this on your own, then there are ways to, I don't know, like exclude yourself from certain conversations, you know, mm-hmm. don't ask how their sex life is because mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to because that doesn't equal being a good friend is what I'm saying. Complete sacrifice does not equal being a great friend, kind of like in the first letter. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I think that's that's a hundred percent true. You don't have to hear about the things to be happy for her with with them, right? Like you don't have to hear about their great sex life for you to also still yeah. be like, I'm glad she has a great sex life. Um, yeah. And I think I think one of the things that comes up a lot for twos, right, is that is that twos tend to make these self sacrifices and then use them as an excuse to like hold people to standards they didn't agree to or like hold people to things that they didn't actually agree to. Well, and as a two, I'll say yes. And <laughs> we make them without being asked to, right? you know? And so would just want to also encourage you to notice times when you are feeling entitled to something because of the sacrifice that you made. Um, or mm, 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 mm-hmm. right because like you didn't you didn't you didn't earn that entitlement by making the sacrifice like you made the sacrifice for the the health and success of your friend right um, yeah and so like are there moments where you are sort of telling yourself the story about how you deserve something different because you did a good thing which is like not how the right. world works right like you're not going to get your perfect boyfriend on tinder right now just because you made this sacrifice um, right. Again, like erasing some of those narratives or like or reframing some of those patterns to stop making them connected in your brain because they're not connected in real life. Yes. This thing that yes. you did doesn't mean that you get a boyfriend immediately doesn't mean that you've sacrificed yourself so much and ne- now you'll never find love. Like those are all stories that I would love to hear in a Taylor Swift song, but like are not actually real things that are happening right now. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, too, to go back to the first thing I said, uh, that all of these feelings are valid. Um, It's one of those those life experiences like, yeah, it is the, the first like neurological path that our brains will make in this scenario is look at that happiness. It could have been mine. Right. Mm-hmm. That is the first most logical fluid place to go to. But as you said in your own letter, you know that, you know, you two aren't the only players that like you and Max could have not vibed mm-hmm. that the, the success of a relationship was not contingent on you granting her this like, mm-hmm. That path that you already know that you wrote in your letter intuitively is is the neurological path of resistance, right? We don't want to think that way. We want to think um, in sweeping motions of like, well, now I'm going to be alone forever. And mm-hmm. that happiness could have been mine. And and our brains like to like hurt, hurt ourselves, <laughs> really. Sure. Absolutely. And sometimes we just have to put that extra, we got to lean in just a little bit more. And just think like, okay, I feel myself feeling insecure about their happiness. Say they like made out in front of you or like they came home giggling because they had a great date. 
you know, it is very valid, as I just, as I said at the beginning, for us, for you to feel loneliness, for, for you to feel that twinge of jealousy, for that feeling of like, that could have been me. Next step is to just acknowledge it. Okay, I feel that. They just came home. I, I saw them. I caught them making out and like giggling together. I feel my jealousy. I feel my sadness. I'm going to acknowledge it. And then I'm also going to say, but that love isn't for me. It's, it's, it's not an indicator of, of love in the future, you know, or love missed out on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I'm whole right now. I'm lovable right now. I, I, I acknowledge this pain. I just, I nod to it and I'm going to move about my day. I don't want to be, I don't want to torture myself right now. You know, mm-hmm. easier said than done. Jealous third wheel. I know way easier said than done, but this is, this is the beginning of starting to like, our, all of our emotions are valid, but we can change the way we respond to our emotions. We are, we can change our responses to them. Yes. So what do you do the next time you feel lonely and jealous? What What is the new thing you're going to do? Say, okay, well, I'm going to put on a really cozy sweatshirt and listen to my favorite song that always makes me in a good mood. Or mm-hmm. I'm going to take myself for a walk or, you know, like start thinking about different responses that we can to to not necessarily negate that jealousy or that sadness, but respond to it differently. Mm. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I think that's that's all really good information. And I would also just encourage you to remember that self-sacrifice that breeds resentment doesn't actually help anyone, right? So if Mm -hmm. you are, if you are doing all these things and listening to your friend talk about this guy that you have this crush on and like, and you're doing it because you're self-sacrificing yourself because you, you want your friends, you want to like make your friend seen and heard and loved and all of those good things. Um, if that practice is causing you to resent her, if that practice is like bringing up this jealousy, if this practice is like yeah. allowing you to feel these things and and go unseen in your pain and your frustration and your jealousy, then you're not actually building relationship with your friend. Right. right? You are just diminishing right. yourself. And, and your boundaries. And your boundaries in order to like make your friend feel seen and heard. Um, and yes. that's not true friendship. That. And it's not helpful, right? Like, I think that's like such the right. the paradox of the twos, right? Like all of the Enneagram have their own paradoxes. Oh, totally. Unhealthy. <laughs> but like, right. that's the paragraph paradox of the twos is that like the self-sacrifice kicks in and then the resentment from the self-sacrifice happens. And then it's like, and then it was all for naught. Like the self-sacrifice like didn't actually do anything good because you just feel bad about right. it. Uh right. And like we can talk about fives in our own paradoxes as well, but like I I just want to call that out because like that no, is a trap. Important. It's a trap that that folks fall into of yeah. being like I'm going to do this noble thing and then I'm going to resent the person for the rest of my life because of it. And it's like then why right. did you do the noble thing? <laughs> like right, right. All right, jealous third wheel. Uh, we hope that this helps, and we hope you get out of the emotional pickle that you're in. Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. All right, this letter comes from a gay in crisis who is writing from the voices in my head. Uh, Trigger warning for this letter uh, that it does involve uh, date rape and drug use. Hi, Sam and Sierra, new listener, and I have to say your podcasts have made me feel so understood and loved, and I am so thankful for the work that you do. I am a 32-year-old gay man with he, him pronouns. This happened to me when I was 24 with my best friend who was 26 at the time. Mm. I wanted to write to you guys because I still have to interact with this friend on a semi-regular basis. We've become distanced distant after multiple fights with my anxious attachment to keep him let's call him jake in my life even after multiple pleas from my family and friends for us to stop hanging out okay so jake and i became friends through working for the same retail company from hell jake was my store manager and as i'm from a small town and had only recently come out as gay to my friends and family he was also the only other gay i had met besides like two guys i made out with senior year of university We clicked instantly as we found out we had a lot in common, and having just moved to the area for the job himself, we were both eager to explore the booming gay life of the city just an hour away. We had many adventures together before this incident, and though our friendship had multiple red flags looking back, I was too happy with making my first gay friends to pay attention. Anyway, long story short, we became close over the year, and eventually I was introduced through Jake to a man named Adrian. Adrian worked a prestigious position for a very popular record label and was a good friend of Jake's. Adrian had all the hookups and could get you into any gay bar, club, or anything in New York City, which is where he lived. Adrian was also 27 years my senior, and so I viewed him more as like an uncle figure. Jake was really hard into the party life, and as I had just lost my mother to breast cancer the year before and my boyfriend dumping me only a week before, I was all too happy to throw myself in along with him. However, and this is not slut-shaming, I've just never been that into sex. For me, sex has to have a connection, and at the time, I had only had sex with my first boyfriend, who I had also lost my virginity to. Fast forward to Jake really wants us to go to New York for this huge party weekend. But, as was usual with Jake, he didn't expect to pay and set about finding ways for us to get a weekend wristband without the weekend wristband price. I think it was the way he presented it to me looking back. Okay, sure, we can get a weekend pass and we can stay in Adrian's place for free, and he only wants to meet me? Sigh. Looking back, I can see how dumb and stupid I was. But that was how Jake groomed me. He made it appear as though this was something that he really wanted, and if I didn't go along with his plan, then I was ruining the weekend and I was being a bad friend. Don't you want to go, he'd demand. Do you want to pay? No. So just meet with this guy and stop being a baby. At least that's what I was told. And having a people-pleasing personality, I just wanted to make him happy. So that weekend, we get to Adrian's apartment, and immediately he starts in. He starts making advances, but I'm able to politely decline them. I'm stern enough to let him know that I don't care that I'm staying at his place. I will leave if I have to. I have a backbone and know how to say no. The whole time, Jake seemed annoyed. He even mentioned at one point, what, what should I expect when I tried to mention how I felt? I wasn't sure how to feel. We left for the first party sober, and Adrian really laid it out, so my easily impressionable self was that 
thought as he whisked me past the line into a safe spot behind the night's DJ. I felt safe enough to accept what Jake told me was a pill that would help me have fun. I must have appeared to still have apprehensions. The night is a black blur after that drink. Apparently, I was so out of it, I had to be carried out by Jake and Adrian and have no recollection of any of it. But I remember kind of coming to while Adrian was on top of me. I've struggled with the shame and regret and honestly guilt since forever. The next morning, I felt so, like I can't describe it, but sick and just used. I remember waking up and going to the bathroom naked just to hide. I remember Jake coming in and me asking him to not do that again, politely, of course. If I'm too gone and the next time, just take care of me like we did back in university when a friend was wasted. You take care of them. He said that I was the one who asked for the drugs, essentially saying that I wanted it, which I know was a lie. I never had a one night stand. I was very new to all of this. I was a late bloomer. There was no way in hell I would agree to any man to sleep with him for a party, for a free place. I remember eating with Jake the morning after as we waited for our bus and trying to tell him how I felt. And I tried to piece the night together and I just, and just being made to feel like it was my fault again. I remember feeling so ashamed and pretty much just, he pretty much just mirrored Adrian. I remember him going, well, what did you expect? It's your fault for getting too turned. Even now, I have doubt about the whole experience and question if I have the right to talk to him about it. I love Jake, and he's been a good friend for the most part. We don't talk as much, but sometimes I wonder if I should or if this is even relevant. Now that I'm older, I really feel as though this created a deep schema in within me and see how this has affected so many of my relationships, not mm. just with men, but with friends as well. Throughout my 20s and even now, I find trusting men hard and expect people to want things from me. Mm. For a time, I truly believed that was just how gay life worked, and that was just that. To the extent that I would sleep with the same man, Adrian, years later, just so a group of friends and I could get backstage concert tickets to the weekend. But that's a different story. My question is, how do I let go of the shame? How do I trust people and friends again when I've been made to feel like a guilty tool only for the use of others? How do I go about loving myself again when it is so apparent I've been taught over and over to do the opposite? How do you let go of a pain that's now so familiar it feels like another limb? A ghost limb, not there, but you can feel it. I just kind of expect gay men to want something from me, which mm. is very unhealthy. And I feel like I'm running out of time to get my shit together before the gay council declares me, declares me too old for a mate. Mm. But with your help, maybe I can write to them for an extension. Love you both, a gay in crisis. Oh, we love you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for writing. Um, and I'm so sorry that this happened to you. Mm -hmm. um, I am so sorry that not only did someone um, assault you, but also that your friend was a willing participant in that assault um, and that they did this this really horrible uh, thing to you. Right. Um, and that you're you're feeling the ramifications of this thing reverberate throughout your life. Um, you didn't deserve to have this happen to you. You didn't do anything wrong. Mm. You, um, and it just sucks that because of the actions of these two men, one of whom you thought was a really good friend, you're having to sort of unpack what this means for you for all of your subsequent relationships. Like that, that's so unfair. Um, I also just want to like talk about the fact that this, um, this experience is really under isn't talked about a lot, right? The yeah. experience of of men being preyed upon by other men, 
um, is not the narrative that we say when we talk about sexual assault, when we talk about rape. Um, and the reality is, is that that men are also victims of sexual assault and also victims of rape. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you talk about in this that yes. happens in in gay spaces that is predatory, that is um, disgusting, mm-hmm. that is transactional in ways that don't feel empowering, right? Mm-hmm. In ways that feel denigrating. Um, and I, I appreciate you writing into us about this. I appreciate you expressing the vulnerability of sharing your story. And I also um, want to just name the fact that it can be hard to experience something like this and doubt it because yes. of the ways, the narratives that we're told about what this type of behavior yes. looks like, what rape, what date rape looks like, what are the expectations yeah, of gay be... men it, it, right, mm-hmm. in society and like, should we just expect to be preyed upon? Mm-hmm. Is that how it works, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, um, it's just really, honestly, it's really emotional for me to to hear you lay it out in such stark terms of like the expectations that you're putting on yourself and the way that you're even doubting your own story. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to echo Sam and say, you know, you didn't deserve this. You didn't earn this. You didn't consent to it. You didn't want it. And this experience is not the price you paid for being gay either. Mm -hmm. I think that there's Mm -hmm. this, terrible intersection um, of these sorts of experiences and shame and, and a sense of deservedness that we feel, feel, especially male survivors, because we have this great social denial that men are survivors at all. You know, we don't talk about it. We don't, um, our, our educational systems don't reflect reality. You know, our, our, our sex education, our consent programs rarely um, reflect to the extent of reality. Um, the, the experience of men, gay, straight, bisexual, et cetera, um, we aren't told, you know, you, you, you as young, and I'm sure you can speak to this better than I can, but at growing up, you weren't told um, that this could be a part of your experience or to fear this. And therefore, socially, societally, like our collective brains assume that it is not a risk. And that that tension of not only this terrible thing that you experienced that you didn't deserve, that you didn't ask for, add to that this collective narrative that we all kind of subscribe to unintentionally that this doesn't happen to people like me, you know, or if it mm. does, it's something that I deserved or something you know, untrue like that. For sure. Or something that like didn't, doesn't matter as much. Yes. That's, right? that's so perfectly articulated. Can you speak mm-hmm. a little like, bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that there's like a narrative around this type of thing, especially yes. in sort of in at least like the gay communities that I have, have been part of, of this idea of like, well, you're a man. So like, you wanted it, right? Because mm-hmm. like all men want sex all the time. So Especially like why gay men, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, right. I mean, like, I'm just speaking to that so... that stereotype or that toxicity. For sure. That 
yeah, I mean, gay men are hypersexualized, right? They are mm-hmm. they are perceived as being just like these these. It's so funny because it's like they're they're predators and at the same time they have no victims, right? right. Like, mm. isn't like isn't that so strange? Wow. Um, so like I I definitely feel that, and also like as a survivor, as a gay survivor of sexual assault too, like. I still, just like you, like diminish what happened to me in my head all the time, mm. right? And and think like, well, I should have known. Like, mm. it's implied, right, in gay culture. If you are coming over to my house to like watch a movie that we're gonna fuck, right? Like, mm. that's just the expectation of this hangout. Um, and it's hard to even say like that's that that that's not an expectation, right? It's even it's hard to even establish that mm. boundary, um, and even like. It's just like there's so much that's involved in that. And I, I, I'll i say, too, for myself, like even talking about it in this way makes me deeply uncomfortable because also I don't want the narrative to be all gay men are predators. Right. right? Like and that's what's so tricky about it is that like we're fighting actively against this narrative that that society tells us that we're all predators. We're all we all want to have sex with children all the time. Like mm. why? And at the same time, say like. And there's a lot of predatory behavior that we need to call out and talk about. Right. Um, that's so real and, and that's, so complicated <laughs> what you're talking about right, right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I don't want this to be a tool of, of hetero patriarchy to say like, okay, well, gay men don't deserve rights. Gay men shouldn't be treated well because they're all predators. Right. Or that there's um, something wrong with, um, uh, non-monogamous sex or party scenes, you know what I mean? Like not, not right. inherently right, but <laughs> or, or not, not at all. And also there are always predatory people in any community um, right. ever period. For sure. Absolutely. Um, the other thing that I just want to say to you too, is that like also any, the behavior that you exhibited after what happened to you oh doesn't diminish the fact that this happened to you. Right. Right. Like the fact that you once again slept with this man in order to get backstage passes doesn't mean that the first time you did it unconsensually and that you were raped. Right. Like, right. and I think sometimes that when we talk about victims of sexual assault, it's like they have to be pure beforehand and they have to be pure afterwards mm. or else suddenly it's not sexual assault anymore. Suddenly they deserved it or suddenly, um, they they aren't deeply affected by it, and so like it didn't matter. Um, and like the things that you did afterwards don't diminish the fact that this trauma happened to you, that you were sexually assaulted, that your friend participated in that sexual assault. Um, you could have slept. You could have slept with every man in New York mm-hmm. City, and it doesn't mean that you, you didn't. Go. You weren't raped the first time, right? right. Like that's. And I think. Again, like they're just the narratives that we construct around survivors of sexual assault are just so deeply hurtful and problematic and harmful. And they're like, it doesn't go away. It feels like, I don't know, it feels like we're constantly talking about it. And yet the same tropes come up over and over and over again. And like, I am obviously in like a very hopeless place right now. (laughs) Like the, Mm. the level of despair in me is like really high in that moment. Um, and it's just so frustrating to me to to get letters like this and hear people who have internalized those awful things that mm. we that we talk about and feel like they don't have the right to feel the pain that they've experienced yeah. and to like name the thing that they've gone through it's just it's just 
heartbreaking. Um, oh, Sam. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I feel, no, I, I'm sorry because I feel like I'm making this all about me and it's like not about me. It's Sam. It's definitely about you. <laughs> but like, it's just, I feel so bad for you because I, I know the experience of being like, this doesn't matter or I deserved this or like, and just, and also like continue to deal with the ramifications of it and the way in which it affects my relationships with people, with friends, with my husband, with my relationship to sex. Like, um, it's just so hard to, to see you going through the same thing. Um, and realizing that like so many people are experiencing this all at the same time. Yeah. Um, thinking about what you were saying too, about the narrative that we put on the, on survivors, um, and how harmful they can be. And also they're, when you were listing them, I was thinking they're, they're also so one-dimensional as though mm. we aren't like such complicated beings that are literally just trying to survive and make decisions one moment to another. I think that this letter brings up such a, such an important um, experience in our lives, like the having something terrible happen to us against our consent or something we never asked for that changes the way we process um, information, how we interact with people, the choices that we make in the future. Mm -hmm. And then years later, feeling as though that one triggering um, catalyst event is lessened by the neg- by the quote unquote unhealthy or maybe um, misaligned choices that we made in the future. You know, mm-hmm. like talking about making um, maybe <sighs> make choices about your sexual partners in the future that you maybe don't. It doesn't sit well with you in the present. You know, mm-hmm. it's such a. I think that is such a unique and relatable example of of the human experience to like how do you rectify um this damaging thing that happened to you and how it how it affected your choices moving forward and how those choices are not bad or good right Mm -hmm. like that is i just want to say explicitly to our letter writer that is not a bad thing that you slept with that man you might not have liked you might regret that decision but you're not a bad Mm -hmm. person for making that choice you you know the and any sort of things you did from that moment on that you attribute to that life experience and that you attribute to being um, unhealthy or, or um, self-harming in a way, you know, um, that doesn't make you a bad person. None of that makes you a bad survivor or a bad man or, or anything. Um, And I think sitting with those feelings and trying to like parse out, well, I did that because I'm fucked up or I did Mm. that. uh, It, 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 we're trying to make sense of things in a one-dimensional way, and um, mm-hmm. I think unpacking uh, unpacking aftermaths or unpacking the path that our life took after terrible triggering things can be yep. equally hard because because then it feels like those autonomous choices that we made are also all wrapped up in, in this in, in this one horrible thing. Um, I don't know. It's all very unforgiving is, is the word that keeps coming up to me. It's like, mm. um, it's, 
sometimes our brains can be so um, unsafe for us, especially when we're trying to like forgive ourselves for maybe not making choices that we like to look back on. And I'm not talking about the sexual assault. That wasn't your fault. That wasn't a choice, right? Doesn't matter how many parties you went to. Like Sam said, you, you know, doesn't matter. But um, unpacking the choices afterwards too, I think the letter writer just brings up such a unique experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, I think it's really understandable that you would struggle with trusting people. Um, and I, I absolutely get it that you sort of have this internalized narrative around the fact that like people just want things from you. Um, because that's, it's easy to make that pattern when those are the experiences that you've had. Yeah. Right. Um, and so like one of the things that I would encourage you to do or encourage you to think about is like, how do you, are there people in your life who don't ask for you, things from you? Hmm. Who are those people? Can you spend more time with them? Can you change the narrative in your head to say like these, there are multiple types of people in the world, right? There are people who for sure are going to want things from me, but I also know because of these wonderful people in my life that there are people that aren't going to ask things from me um, and focus time and intention on that um, and finding places where you can like be in community with other queer people who are um, really focused on affirming and building up other queer people and less on preying upon them, right? Like there's, I love gay bars, right? Like I go to, if I don't go to gay bars anymore because of the pandemic, but like before that, like that's where I spent most of my time in community with other, with other gay men, And at the same time, like the types of interactions that I had in those places were not always really helpful for me. So like, where are other places where you can be in community with other queer people where you know that they're going to be affirming? So like book clubs, like activism clubs, like other places where you can find community that isn't about sort of the meat shop that gay bars can become, right? Um, Which isn't to say like, don't go have fun, like, it isn't to say, like, go, don't spend time in those places. Yeah. But I think what's going to be helpful for you as you sort of, like, try and build towards a more nuanced understanding of people, the people around you, is by really finding those people who share your values, who want to be in community with you, and spending time and energy reminding yourself that those people exist and that you, as a smart, capable person who has been taken advantage of, are going to be able to identify really quickly whether or not people want things from you. Yeah. I I also want to add to that maybe in the context of reframing this idea of trust and wanting. Um, I think people do want things from us all the time. Yeah. And and the dis- the distinction that I want to help you make in your heart is that you know, I want something, I want things from Sam. I want his friendship and his attention. <laughs> you know, I like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think like what I genuinely, I want, I want Sam's support, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I want to feel heard. Um, so I want to shift this narrative a little as we move into this realm of learning how to trust people again or trust people differently. It's not that people, mm. there are people out there who don't want things from you, although I'm, I know that those people exist too. But mm. b- there are people in your life that do want things from you, 
but not all wanting is bad and and not everyone will take it too. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's an important distinction to make that like people, people wanting engagement from you, friendship, um, uh, attention, you know, like there's a good wanting that's human interaction and, and find trying to, to lean into that very terrifying vulnerability of, of allowing yourself to be wanted. I know it's really scary, but, but not all people will take advantage of that. Um, I also, I want to say that um, it is a huge, huge, I don't know what your friendship with Jake has been like over the last decade or whatever, but it is very deeply, deeply concerning to me, not just that he played a part in this, but that your friends and family members, as you said, very casually in the, in like the first paragraph of your letters have, have suggested that you stop hanging out with him. That Mm -hmm. is very concerning to me that your people in your community that love you are, have, have told you over the past however many years that this person is not good for you. You are an autonomous, smart, capable, beautiful person who is who is capable of making an you know an autonomous decision about who is and isn't in your life. I don't know the details, and I don't know why your friends and family don't want you to hang out with him. But to me, that is very. That's I don't have a friend in my life that my friends and family have have like warned me to stop have asked me to stop hanging out with that's not to say i'm a perfect perfect person honestly mm-hmm. it's just because i compartmentalize things way too much and they never meet the <laughs> shitty people who, who treat me really poorly uh, yeah that too <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i am more focused in this letter of affirming your experience and helping you remember what a beautiful valuable lovable human you are that is worthy of respect and and worthy of healthy relationships I want to do that more than I want to process your relationship with Jake, but I, I can't end this letter without saying, um, I guess I'll flip it. You deserve healthy relationships. You deserve friends mm-hmm. that don't abandon you, that don't put you in unhealthy, hurtful, um, dangerous situations. You deserve friends that don't yell at you, that don't make you feel guilty or gaslight you. You deserve people in your life that make you feel like your best self, right? And I'm Mm. not confident that Jake is somebody who does that based on what you've shared. Absolutely. I agree with the both of the things that both of the things that Sierra just brought up and I appreciate the redirection around wanting. I think that was very important. I'm glad. Yeah. Um but I want to I want to nail home this thing about Jake um, and just say explicitly, Jake is not a safe person in your life. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that you should be spending time on maintaining a relationship with a person who has hurt you this deeply and sounds like continues to to not show up in good ways when you could be spending more time and energy energy putting yourself into relationships with people who are going to want things from you, but going to want things that you want to give them. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I just want to, this, I think just really nail home that yeah. like, I don't think that Jake is a safe person for you. Yeah. And also I'll just say to you one thing, which is you're not a bad person or you weren't stupid or naive for trusting your friend. Oh yes, Right. And I think that that's like, 
that's maybe the lesson that you learned from this, right? Like is that you can't trust people. You can't trust anyone, even people who say that they're your friends because of this experience and maybe other experiences. But you aren't, you weren't naive. You weren't stupid. You were doing a wonderful, beautiful human thing that we should all do more of, which is you trusted the person that was your friend, right? Oh my you, God, that is so accurate. You moved through the world feeling feeling trustful of people. Right. And I think so often we we like cast trust as being like this like naive thing or like, oh, they should have known better. But I would love for us to practice more trust. I want yeah. us to 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 spend more time being in community with people and and developing and honoring the trust that we have in other people and other people's trust in us. Like I just I don't want you to sort of like hear that you shouldn't you shouldn't let people in anymore because people are going to hurt you. Yes. Um it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's it's amazing that you were able to trust your friend in this way. And I'm so sorry that he took yes. advantage of that. But that doesn't say anything about you. That says everything about him. Absolutely. And to that point, you know, I'm going to talk about this in my blind date today, but a woman named Sonia Renee Taylor um has asked us on social social media recently, like, how is your old story in the way of your new life? What stories mm. did you learn? Did you tell yourself about what did you what stories did you believe about yourself because of this experience? Because you trusted your friend, um, because you went to this party, you know, what incorrect, hurtful narratives have you trusted about have you believed about yourself um, from that day on? And how can we mm -hmm. take that old story and remove it? Because as Sam said, you didn't do anything wrong by trusting your friend. That is a beautiful, mm -hmm. correct, humane thing to do. It is inhumane to break your friend's trust and to put them in a position of being harmed by someone who is a predator, right? That is, Absolutely. that is the story that I want you to start telling yourself. So how can we erase this old story and find a new way to uh, find the way to your new life, really. Mm -hmm. And one of the very important tools that we can do in sort of erasing that old story or reframing that old story and taking what works to build our new future um, is through therapy. Yes. And I don't know if you are seeing a therapist at this point, if it's affordable to you, um, but it is a really helpful tool for us as we, as we think about how we can unlearn some of the things that we've been taught um, and find new ways of, of operating in the world. So if you, if that's available to you, yes. please, please consider reaching out to a therapist and finding someone who can help you through this journey. All right, my darling, um, please know that you are not alone, um, that Sam and I love you. Uh, we see all of you and we love all of you. We love every mm -hmm. choice you have ever made. Um, mm -hmm. And we are so grateful that you shared your story with us. Um, and we hope this helps. Absolutely. We love you. Thank you. All right, everyone. This brings us to the blind date segment. This is when we try and set you up with something we think you're really going to like. This week, we want to send you home with. All right. It's an author. Uh, she's an author, Sonia Renee Taylor. I have actually suggested mm -hmm. her as one of my first blind dates two and a half years ago or so. Mm -hmm. um, her book, uh, The Body is Not an Apology, was a blind date. But I just want to recommend Sonia Renee Taylor as a general whole, but also um, in light of some things that are happening in her world over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Sonia is a New York Times bestseller 
a best-selling author and founder of The Body Is Not an Apology, um, which is like an online community and a book committed to radical self-love as a path to liberation. And we are talking radical and we are talking liberation here. We're not talking like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I love myself. You know, we're talking about dismantling the narratives that we have been told that um, that oppress us and others. Um, and she is... Uh, an, a literal gift to the world. And so I was originally going to um, talk about Sonia's, she has a book about helping young people through puberty in a radical accepting way. Um, hmm. But I believe that she is working on a new addition to this book to be um, more trans inclusive. Um, so I'll hold off of that until the new book comes out. Um, but I mm-hmm. wanted to shout out Sonia because um, Sonia does something on her social media called "What's Up, Y'alls." It's like every, it's like a sermon. <laughs> I love whenever them. She, yeah, yeah, whenever she's feeling <laughs> it, um, she'll do an Instagram story or, or I mean, an Instagram uh, feed or whatever the hell reel. Here we go, um, and it'll it essentially <laughs> be like a sermon on um, unpacking capitalism or how do we uh, uplift. Um, black people without stealing their labor, you know, it, it is all over the board and it's just like her daily musings about this path to radical self-love and liberation. But, um, she is moving off of Instagram because she's found Instagram to be too corporate, too problematic, too, um, entrenched in these systems that she's trying to take down. So she's moving to Patreon and you can get, you can have access to all of these what's up y'alls that have truly, a hundred percent. And I mean this so humbly, like has challenged me, (laughs) have challenged me, um, to, to think differently about the world. Um, you can, she's making the move at the end of April. You can subscribe for like a dollar. I subscribe for five bucks today. Um, and, uh, you can check out her, her WhatsApp y'all follow her on social media to, to get her new book and just see what her content and her mission is all about at Sonia Renee Taylor, um, at Instagram. Um, uh, I don't know if she's going to move them all or whatever. I'm sure I think they're going to still be up. But anyway, I just wanted to like push that transition because I'm all about creators getting paid for their content, especially when it's about um, personal liberation and and breaking down these systems of oppression. Um, so you can check it. Check out Sonia Renee Taylor on Instagram and on Patreon. Love it. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs. You can send us your favorite relationship memes. But most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. Please remember to hit that follow button so that you can get a new episode every Monday exclusively on Spotify and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode as well as access to all of our back catalog. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, recording, editing, producing, all magical things by our good friend Spencer. And remember, you are a whole person. You complete yourself. This right here is your body, your life, your heart, and you are capable of making healthy, authentic choices to protect, uplift, and honor yourself. You won't always be perfect because perfect isn't real. 
but you are not defined by your past, by your mistakes, by what has happened to you. You are in control of your own story. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>